Where's the intro? Blog Talk Radio. Yeah. This is all about it's wine. All about wine. The talk made for the wine industry since 2009. Featuring winemaker, cellar master, vineyardist, and tasting expert, Ron. Basically, what we're trying to do on this program is just trying to educate people and trying to make wine less confusing and more friendly. From coast to coast and around the world. You know, we really have had some, some neat people on the program. I, I just, I love that. Post your questions and comments during the live show on our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash all about wine btr again that's www.facebook.com forward slash all about wine btr and now all about wine is on on. here's why all right all right all right All right, bus people. Bus people are happy. It is warm in Florida. Uh, I think the, I don't know, what is the current temperature? I can get that real fastly here, I think. 100 degrees. And it says, yeah, you're you're a little distance away from me. Mine says 75, but I'm on the coast, and you're you're more in the center of the state, so it's usually warmer there. But but it's... Yeah, it's, it's warm here in Florida again, so bus people are happy, and everybody here is happy. Mm-hmm. And I think once you hit the mm-hmm. border of Florida, it immediately drops, what, 60 degrees? Uh-huh. Yeah, it's kind of oh. like the price of gas. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. So it, what did you talk about? Uh, it's just... So, uh, or, video, in the video, where is the bus pulling up to and opening the door then that's what uh is it is it in this part of florida or your part of florida i don't know i don't know i, ask, I, I don't know i gotta check we're, we're sitting in the studio and we, we know the bus people are there yeah. but you know it's yeah they could be in a field yeah. out in the Swamp somewhere we don't know. They, yeah, yeah. I mean, somewhere in Ocala, somewhere there in the in the fields between the two of us, and we, right. I, you know, it's a possibility. I don't know. That's that's true because, like I say, being in the studio, we we're sort of isolated here, and you know, mm-hmm. we just assume that they're having a good time. They could be. Yeah. Well, well, that's something for us to think about. That. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's, welcome. It's, uh, it's, it's not September 7th, of 2011. It is uh, February 17th, 2022 or 2022. So, yeah, we're kind of messing with you before the show. But yes. you, you're smart people. You knew that You're already, smart so. people. Yeah. 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 Smart enough to listen oh. to all about wine. They, they can figure that out. Yeah. Did you push so. No, I didn't push any button. No, I just heard a uh, tone. Uh, okay. Like no, a uh, like a push button. No, not on this, not on this end. Uh, wow, nothing here. So, hmm, I don't know. Yeah. Oh well, now yeah, BTR, BTR plays games with us. I, I think they, I I don't know if they do it with everybody, but I know they do it with us. So, yeah. yeah. Oh well, we're we're getting used to them. All right, <laughs> this is all about wine. 
uh, on Blog Talk Radio. We are live. If you are listening to us now on February the 17th, 2022, like Mike just said, at 7.04 p.m. Eastern Time, then you're live. And you can get in touch with us by messaging us or going on Facebook and messaging us and all that. And we'll answer your questions or talk to you through that. And uh, let me see. I think... Yeah, you can chat to us, too, you know, call in and chat to us. But uh, all of it's through messaging. We don't do any don't do any live talking. We've learned our lessons over the last 10 years, 11 years. So um, got any questions or anything, you can always email us, too, and we'll be happy to address those. So any uh, – I don't think there's anything new out there. Uh, Super Bowl last Sunday for all of you – Sports fans, I was sort of like, meh, on the Super Bowl. I, there was neither team that I was really cheering for or not cheering for. It was just sort of like, you know, it's another football game. I was a little disappointed in all the advertisements, though. That's one thing I can say. I was didn't seem like it had the, oh, wow, that's a great advertisement that we've had in the past. For some reason, it didn't seem that way to me. I may be mistaken, but I watched the Super Bowl because of the advertisements. And like I mentioned to Mike before the show, there's a lot of people that they showed on different advertisements, celebrities, I guess they were, that I didn't recognize. I didn't know if it's uh, a whole new area of celebrities out there that I'm not familiar with or what it is, but there was, it seemed like there was a lot of people that I should have known who they were, and I didn't. But, yeah. Not important. So, hope you enjoyed the Super. Hope you had it. What do we got? We got the Olympics going on now. The United States is in what fourth place in the medal count right now. They're in second place on the gold medal count, I think. But the total medal count, they're in fourth place, which is always the the competition within the competition. How many medals did your country get? And as always, there's the controversy of you know. When Russian girl had a banned substance, but she got to compete in ice skating, and then an American girl, or was it American or German girl? Uh, I think American girl was, had banned substance, and because of some pills she was taking, and she was not able to compete, and so you always have to have the controversy. But you know, the thing is with the Olympics, all these people see everybody all the time. All the ice skaters know all the other ice skaters because there's competitions throughout the year. And so because of that, it's, you know, it's not like it's, oh, I don't know who that is. Hi, my name is. It's like, oh, hi, how are you doing? You know? And so it's fun. The United States or the world doesn't see them all. And that's, that's the big thing with the Olympics. It's an international stage, but. Otherwise, it's the competitions go on continuously all the time. Okay, enough of my commentary. Uh, I just heard another ding. Did somebody text us on Facebook? Yeah. Uh, no, that that was a uh, disconnect uh, for some reason. I was getting buffering errors, so I, I uh, reconnect, had to reconnect it. Oh, oh, oh. Okay. Yeah, yeah I just, I just, just heard it. I'm going, Ooh. Well, that's hmm. strange. Yeah, I guess say yeah. Facebook, yeah. or uh, not Facebook, yeah. Blog Talk Radio, plays with us, you know. So, 
has little games and everything. Okay. Got news uh, to talk about tonight. Wine news, wine-related news, wine stuff. Uh, not just wine itself, but wine stuff. Different interesting things that in the wine industry that will impress and uh, amaze you. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, but if it does, great. If it doesn't, eh, it's okay too. All right. Article out of Beverage Dynamics magazine talking about how wine is rebounding. Last year wasn't a good year for wine. The COVID-19, we heard about how the wine category uh, is the sales are increasing, but there's a lot of the wines that have fallen down uh, in different areas. And it's amazing some of the ones that we're so used to. People are buying different wines, wines that we're not used to, wines that you don't normally hear the name. Uh, Sales are going up, but the sales are going up because wineries are sending out directly. And because of that, if you have a favorite winery, you're calling them up and saying, okay, I'd like to order a case of this or a case of that. And they're sending out directly, and so therefore it's not affecting the numbers of some of the bigger wineries. Some of the ones that you walk into your grocery store, drugstore, Sam's Club, or Costco or anything, and pull them off the shelf because, well, we haven't been able to go out and do that stuff. And so it slowed it down there, and the ones that are being bought are the ones that don't really add up on the numbers that you normally see that. Now, if all that makes sense. So this is five top table wines uh, that are usually right at the top, the ones that usually get the big numbers and all that stuff, and usually you hear about all the time. I just want to let you know that this was taken from total U.S. supermarkets, drugstores, mass merchandisers, gas and convenience stores, military commissaries, uh, and stores. Yeah, The things I just mentioned, these are where the wines are sitting out there, and these are the ones that people walk in and say, oh, there's a barefoot, I'll pick up a bottle of that. And now they're having, well, the past year, year and a half, they haven't been able to do that a lot because of COVID and restrictions and all. So people haven't been grabbing them. Well, because of that, Barefoot, the number one over the past year, is down 15.5%, which is substantial. Uh, the uh, 15.5% when you're talking in the 600 million dollar range what their income is you know you you drop that down 15 percent and 15 and a half is substantial Sutter Home is number two they're down three percent the only one that didn't drop is Josh Sellers J-O-S-H Josh Sellers those are they increased by 9.6 percent which surprised me but Josh Sellers has been doing their fair share of advertising so because of that I think it's something that people, the name is easy to remember and people are thinking of it. Uh, Another one that's down is Franzia Box. That is down 9.9%. And again, you think 9.9%, but when they're doing business of 300 and 
$68 million, 9.9% of that is a pretty big chunk. And Woodbridge by Robert Mondavi, and we all are familiar with Woodbridge all over the place, that's down by 13.5%. So uh, it's amazing. Total table wine market, and these are all classified as table wines, is down 6.8%. So it's taken its toll. It's not the boutique wineries are all that, the, the ones that you can order directly from and people are. It's these, these big ones where you pick up at your local store, things like that, that has felt the crunch of not having people able to walk by their display and grab a bottle. So, so uh, I just thought that was an interesting little trend there. Uh, okay, let me get rid of this and going to the next one. And the next one is advertising. Advertising to get the word out, to get things out there and all that. And they've been trying different things. And the latest one they have is Elizabeth Banks, who is an actress. And she is holding a snake. And in the video, Elizabeth Banks says, uh, who's an investor in the company and is chief creative officer, announced that running a, sustain, a sustainably sourced wine business is about giving back. So she said that's why Archer Roos, which is the name of the company, Archer Roos, is offering a special giveaway. For every 100,000 cases of wine you buy, you'll be sent a free live snake. Yeah, okay. Well, uh, it's sort of a tongue-in-cheek thing for all the promos that they're doing all the time for everything else. And Archer Roos is a canned wine company, so uh, they're trying to get their name out there and trying to do something just, just to... Well, poke fun at all the other stuff. Um, and it goes on and says, that's right, a live snake of our choosing sent right to your door while supplies last because we believe wine can make the world a better place and you deserve the snake of your dreams. And so, <laughs> so uh, you know, it's a joke. And, and the executive team admitted to... Uh, uh, would not admit to anything of the sort on the conversation about sending out a snake that it was a joke, but uh, it, it just basically is a joke. And you see all sorts of stuff out there about uh, different companies offering prizes, gift cards, and so Arthur Ar Archer, I want to say Arthur, Archer Roos is doing their thing, offering a snake for every 10,000, or 100, I'm sorry, not 10, 100,000 cases of Archer Roos wine, which they come in four different styles. So, you know, it's, uh, you, you get, you know, 250,000, 250,000 of each style, so you get your, you know, a hundred thousand that way, and uh, you now you get your free snake. They, you know, and you say they send it to you. Well, Google re 
told us that you can't ship a live snake through UPS or the U.S. Postal Service. And snakes are, Grant says, non-mailable live animals. But FedEx does take non-venomous reptiles. They will ship non-venomous reptiles. So you can get it shipped to you. FedEx will do it. Um, but I just thought that was funny that they're playing the game. Uh, the snake video has gotten 56,000 views on Banks' Instagram account alone and 7,000 views on Archer Roos's account. And so it's getting out there to the people. Uh, they said if you want to do it, uh, well, let's see, this, this paragraph says the chances that anyone will take up on the offer are slim to none, but the suggested retail price for 100,000 cases of Archer Roos canned wine is $10 million. That is before tax and shipping. I would think that they would pick up shipping. I mean, if you're going to order 100,000 cases of their wine, I think they would pick up shipping. Uh, but, you know, 10 million before tax and shipping. Place your order, go to the website, go call 1555-3-SNAKES, S-N-A-K-E-S. And, uh, and so uh, I, I called that, and it was just a recording that said, leave your name and address, or uh, name and email, and the sales representative would reach out and uh, be in contact. So I did that, and I haven't heard anything. But, you know, they probably think it's all part of the joke anyway, and I'd be surprised if I did. If someone legitimately did want to do it, though, I, I, well, I don't know. Well, but a fun thing there, just a fun thing. Elizabeth Banks is joining them and offering a free snake for 100,000 cases of wine. That's right, 100,000 cases, is that? Yeah, 100,000 cases. So you can get more than one. Your choice, too, says, you know, your choice is non-venomous. So that's that's pretty cool. You know, get to ask for a very rare python or something like that. Enduring wine myth. This is an interesting article. I found it interesting because they talked about a couple of my... I don't want to say pet peeves, but a couple of my questionable things. It's said that uh, almost all myths are eventually dispelled. And at one truth, so therefore you just accept them and go along with them. And nobody ever questions them or anything else. And uh, that has happened in the wine industry for a long time, a lot of these myths. Uh, a good example, back in the uh, 70s, it was common knowledge that the finest wines in the world come from France, and everybody else was secondary or tertiary to French wine. And then the adjustment of Paris happened in 1976, where American wines were picked number one in Cabernets and in Chardonnays. And it was like, oh my gosh, you can't be serious but yeah that's what happened and the uh, French tried to put all sorts of reasons why this was not true and they said that uh, in the case of the 
parish judgment, the judges had no experience with American wines or California wines. And the ratings was based on the fact that they probably thought they were tasting French wines. And so, therefore, the scores came in because they thought they were tasting French wines, not California wines. And they had zero experience with California wines, so they simply awarded the points to the wines with greater intensity, uh, which would be French wines. But California wines stepped in there and says, ha-ha, we fooled you. We've got ourselves some great wines here. And you liked them whether they were California or not, and that really surprised them all. Uh, the wine tasting world learned that California can be just as interesting as everybody else. And so, therefore, the myth that the French was the best was destroyed. And Americans have taken this to the bank. I'll tell you what, they have cashed in on this. That happened in 1976, and the Americans and the American wine industry still talk about it. And so it was, you know, a good thing. Um, you know, the 100-point uh, scoring system is something that is is used all over. Uh, it's another... Oh, my engineer just came in and poured me some wine. What is this? Urgency. The Cabernet Sauvignon Urgency of 2020 out of, I have no idea where, out of California, of course, because that's what I buy most of the time. Uh, it says, even before the Urgency vineyard was planted, Clay Shannon's instincts told him that the blend of volcanic soils would produce full, rich flavors and long, warm summer days would ripen the grapes perfectly. This special piece of dirt creates wines that do not require long aging, and lush flavors show well upon their release. So, produced and bottled by Shannon Family of Wines, Kelseyville, California. Not sure where Kelseyville is exactly. Uh, it is how much alcohol? I don't know. It has to say somewhere because it is required by the law. Here it is, 13.9% volume. So, uh, urgency out of California. Uh, why wait to enjoy attack life with urgency? So, let me thank you. My engineer just brought me. Brought me. My taste was tonight. Kelseyville, uh, in case you're wondering, is located yes. uh, just southeast of uh, Lakeport, uh, California. Oh, that helps. Oh, oh. And Lake, uh, Lake... It's, it's, <laughs> it's located. It's located northwest of Sacramento, uh, near uh, what is it, Mendocino? Uh, oh, okay, northwest National of Sacramento. Yeah, yeah, quite a bit uh, between that and the and the. Pacific uh, North, you know, in the northwest part near the Sorry, north of the Pacific, then north of Napa, uh, north of Santa Rosa. Um, let me see where where am I at here? Napa, 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 Napa. Where's Napa? Anyway, it's over there. Yeah, oh, Saint Helena. Yeah. Um, okay. Good legs on this for those of you who are hmm. ones you like to see. Legs on the glass. That's some nice legs on this. Uh, mini. 
and rather slow. Good dark rich color. Oh yeah, I always look down through the wine to see if I see my fingers, and I can't see them at all through this. This is really a pretty dark wine. And nose is... Oh, I don't know. Hint of chocolate. And classic cab dark berries, but I'm not picking up any particular one. Just a berry nose and a slight hint of chocolate. And the taste... Oh, that's very good. It's got, yeah, we've had it before. We've always liked it. In fact, I think we just picked up another one a couple of days ago. But uh, it's got just enough tannins in it to give you that little little bite in the mouth, that little dryness. Uh, the acid is very well balanced on this. It's not overpowering or anything. It's balanced well with the tannins. It's... It said on the bottle, you know, no need to age it, drink it now, which I actually would love to drink it now. I am drinking it now because I like that little bit of tannin in the taste. Uh, I think it probably could lay down for a year if you wanted to, but I would see no reason why. Uh, personally, I like I like the taste of this now. So, Intensity, uh, 2020. You can pick it up at any show. I think this was around 15 $15, if I remember. Uh, you can find them on sale every once in a while. But very nice wine. And it's located north of Napa, what Mike was telling us. So, I will be having to sip on that periodically during the rest of the show. But, as I was saying, Americans have a, uh, well, a love affair with the 100-point scoring system. Uh, when it comes to wine, 95 wine is so much better than an 89. And so, therefore, uh, it's a fantastic score for 95. 89, not so much. But, you know, 95, 89 out of 100 points, that's a pretty, still a pretty good score. Uh, if you were a baseball player and you were hitting uh, .890, your batting average would be phenomenal. You'd be getting a a hit 9 out of 10 at bats, basically. So, you know, we, we just love this 100-point scoring system. Uh, ratings are personal and objective. Uh, you know, it's just like this article says, you know, it's like giving the Beatles' Yesterday album in 95 and then the Rolling Stones' Paint It Black in 89. Yeah, okay, Uh but when in reality you must prefer paint it black and despise yesterday, then the number system is just sort of silly, if you will. And so, but we're entrenched in the number system, and we always will be, thanks to Robert Parker and his original numbering and uh, Wine Spectator, and it's taken off, and that's basically what we do now. It gives us an idea of where we're at. Uh so, uh, the, uh, let's see, 
perfectly possible to evaluate wine uh, in, in a different way. It, it's uh, it won't work though because people are just too entrenched in what we do now. We we embrace the hundred point scoring system, and it is going to be with us. There's other ways uh, we can define wines and talk about it, but it's not going to happen. So speaking of myths of wines, the 100-point scoring system is the way we're going to do it. Even though it's not perfect, it is something that everyone is used to. And the sad thing about the 100-point scoring system is not everybody scores the 100-point scoring system the same. Uh, Wine Spectator starts at 50, and I think now they're up to starting at 70, but Wine Enthusiast, I think, starts like at 80 or something like that. And, you know, it's just different places have different point scoring systems and all that. So if it were consistent all the way around, then I would be more enthusiastic about it. It's like, and if I could editorialize for a moment here, Canada has a... A, a number system for their wines and the number system tells you that if it's a I don't know I think it goes up to five or six and you Canadians are listening correct me if I'm wrong but I think it goes up to five uh, maybe six and if it's a one or two then it's a dry wine if it's a three it's medium dry if it's a four it's sweetener if it's a five it's a sweet wine and in practice, that would be a great method to judge how sweet a wine is. But from what I understand, there are no national standards on that. There is nothing in Canada that states if it's got this much residual sugar, it should be this. And if it's got this much, it should be this. And so therefore, leaving it up to the wineries to rate those on the amount of residual sugar. Now, there's guidelines, but there's nothing more than that. So from what I understand, you can give it a four when it really deserves a three or even a four if it deserves a high two because you want people to get it because people tend to like the sweeter wines and you want to sell it. That's my problem with that system. So, if it's a standard system for everything, I have no problem with numbering systems, but a lot of times it isn't. Uh, Here's another myth that this person brought up here, though, in this article, is the fact that when storing wines, it's in 2021, a brainy colleague of mine, uh, Deborah Parker Wong, brought up another myth that has been repeated as gospel. When storing wines, all bottles must be laid on their side to keep the corks moist and preventing from oxidizing. Research papers going back as far as 2005, however, have clearly demonstrated that this is simply not true. Not only is there more than enough humidity in bottles to keep corks intact and wine fresh, Researchers found that wine bottles are probably better off stored upright. If, however, you are storing wines for a long-term maturation, you still need to keep bottles as close to optimal temperature, that's 55 to 60 degrees, as possible. Because temperature, more than anything, 
is what affects wine quality during long-term selling. So he's saying that you don't have to lay them on the side. I probably am still stuck in the old school on that because I really think you have to. And so, uh, you know, take it as you will on that, but I really think, you know, laying them on the side is going to keep that cork moist. And I've seen dried out corks before, and it's not nice. Another thing, and one of the things that really caught my eye on this article was decanting. And I am never have been a big one on decanting wines. I uh, I, I think it's uh, an unnecessary thing to do simply because, you know, let it breathe. And as far as I'm concerned, you can let a wine breathe just by swirling it in your glass. That's going to let it breathe. Or if you really want it to breathe, pour it from one glass to the other a few times, and that will get air onto it. So I've never been a real big fan of decanting. And people argue with me up and down about it and all that. And I say, you know, you know, if one, you know, the idea that you open up a bottle and let the bottle stay open and that will air it out and let it breathe and then it will be better is to me always ridiculous because how much is that bottle going to breathe at the bottom with that little cork hole at the top and all that wine, all, it's not. I mean, let's let's face it. It's, you'd have to leave that open for a week before get that much air into it. Well, so I've always been, you know, they n- not one to open up a bottle and let it breathe that way. And then the people say, well, you need to un- uncork it and then aerate it. Put it in a, a jeez, uh, uh, a, a canister, a, uh, uh, put it so that it will have a chance to aerate that way. And, again, I'm thinking, you know, it's not going to make a big difference. Well, this article here, it uh, says, I like to cite the December 1997 issue of Decanter. Okay, now, the Decanter magazine is out of England, and it's proclaimed itself as the world's best wine magazine. Now, yeah, it's good. It, it's that they stay, the Cantor magazine, if you're not familiar with it, is an English magazine, and they really stay old world wines more than anything. Wine spectator and wine enthusiast and more new world. But the Cantor is a good magazine. And the Cantor magazine reported this report in 1997. Uh, they asked uh, a double blind tasting involving Hugh Johnson, Stephen uh, Spurrier, Serena Sutcliffe, uh, Master of Wine, and Patrick Leon, uh, who was the at the time the winemaker for Montan Rothschild. Okay, so you got yourself some well-knowledged people. And they were asked to assess the quality of four wines, a 1961 Montan Rothschild, a 1982 Claret Milon, a 1980 Dar- uh, Dar- and a 1990 Monton Cadet. And each of these wines were presented in different ways. They were uncorked a few minutes ahead of time and then poured and tasted. Uncorked a few hours ahead of time and then poured and tasted. 
uncorked and poured into a decanter a few minutes ahead of time before poured into glasses and tasted. Uncorked and poured into a decanter a few hours ahead of time before poured into a glass and tasted. And uncorked and then immediately poured into glasses and tasted. There is no breathing at all. Guess which wines across the board were the ones that this impartial panel of expert tasters chose. The bottles that were uncorked immediately poured and tasted. It turns out that breathing for a few minutes or a few hours really did absolutely nothing to change their mind on how good the wine was. And if anything, it could end up being detrimental because it could start losing stuff. Now, I thought that was extremely interesting because you're always hearing this, you've got to do the breathing. The wine's got to breathe. Well, getting air into it does get it breathe. I get a glass of wine, I stroll into my glass, that's breathing. That's going to get the air. That does open it up a little bit. You know, it's just, you, you can't help yourself. You get a glass of wine in your hand, and the first thing you do is you swirl it. I mean, it just... And it does open up the air, the aroma. And actually, if you don't think it's true, you can do that with anything. You can do that with coffee or uh, whiskey or uh, a Pepsi or anything. I mean, it, it works with anything. Once you start throwing air into it, it's going to open up the aroma a little bit more. And it does with wine also. So put it in the glass and drink it, air it in a little bit in the glass is going to get your taste right there for what you need. And then another thing that they dispel the myth on is cost. Just because it costs more does not make it taste better. And this is something we've talked about on the show before. The wines from, say, 7 to 15 7 to $18, they're all going to be about the same you're going to find your different ones that are going to taste a little bit different. But then when you jump up to the 15 to $30, you're going to see a difference in quality there. That's your biggest jump in quality. When you jump on up in prices from there, there's going to be a difference, but it's going to be subtle. And most of the time, you won't really notice a difference. And so the cost doesn't really affect a lot unless you make that one jump from the 7 to 15 up to 15 to 30. That's where you're going to see a difference. But otherwise, paying $200 for a bottle of wine and a $100 bottle of wine, subtle differences, but not enough to, for most people, not enough to justify the difference in cost. So just some, some wine myths that... Most people are used to this. was written by Randy Caparoso, and he's a full-time journalist, photographer from Lodi, and he's won numerous awards in restaurants and as a sommelier in Hawaii for 10 years and all sorts of awards and credentials by his name there. So this was not written by somebody who just decided to write an article. He does have himself a lot of uh, a lot of creed there to be able to write this article. So, okay, let me 
go to hmm. uh, no, not there. I got a very nice email from a Melissa in England. And she had it was pretty long. She tell me about the champagne or sparkling wine in England and how it's really taken off and how it's become important and how they're using the same grapes as they use in France and how it's a really a pretty big business now. And she wanted to know if I was interested in guests. And, well, heck yeah, I'm interested in guests. So I am corresponding with her, and we'll see if we can't get some guests on from England. And I don't know how we're going to work this out. We may may have to pre-record because our 7 o'clock time here, I think they're five hours ahead of us in England, five or six hours. I, I'm not sure. So... And if they are, then I would put them 1 o'clock in the morning when they start to show their uh, midnight or 1 o'clock. So we may have to pre-record some of those shows. We'll have to wait and see. But I am corresponding with her, and we'll see what we can come up with on getting some English wineries on the show here in the, in the near future. Uh, hmm. Okay, let me uh, go to this next. Oh, counterfeiting wines. Oh, yeah. This counterfeiting wines is... I've talked about counterfeiting wines quite a bit. And the big business in counterfeiting wines, and, uh, you know, we talked about the guy who was thrown in jail for it and all that. But this article sort of, open my eyes a little bit more here and it says that the counterfeit wines and spirits globally was uh, surpassed 3.18 billion dollars in direct sales uh, and it was in all levels we always think about counterfeits in the, the higher echelon wines the higher levels of wine the more expensive wines but it's not always true it says over 7,000 jobs across the beverage industry was lost, and the cost to governments was $2.61 billion in tax revenues because of counterfeit uh, spirits and wines being one of the big ones on there. Uh, and it's all price brackets. That's the thing that caught my eye on this. They said it wasn't just the higher end. Uh, we all... Have recently, and I reported on it, uh, Rudy Carnewin and his counterfeit wines, and he got caught, and he was you know, doing it. But it's, it's not just him. It's uh, at all levels. Uh, the wines are being counterfeited at every single level and every single price point. If you can throw something cheap into a bottle that normally sells for $20 and you can throw something in there that instead of costing you, say, 5 $6 to make the wine and then the bottle and everything else and only costs you a buck or 50 cents, substitute it for that, you're way ahead of the game. 
And that's what's happening. It doesn't, and the volume is much higher. And the thing is with cheaper wines, when you start counterfeiting cheaper wines, people accept it more. They they will taste the wine and they'll say, oh, this has gone bad. And they'll just walk over and they'll pour it down the drain. And they won't follow up on it. They won't check and see if there's anything that should be done about it. And it happens a lot. That's why the counterfeiting of cheaper wines is so lucrative. Because when you get cheaper wines, you just sort of go, oh, okay, this this went bad and I'm, I'm not going to drink it. Now, or you'll, some people will say, well, I paid for this. I'm going to drink it anyway. And it's not that bad. And that happens a lot. And you all are sitting there chuckling now because, you know, everyone's done that at one time or another. I think, well, this isn't that bad. I'll just go ahead and finish it. It is bad. Okay. It's bad wines. They're, they're not good wines. They're not what you paid for. And if it's not what you paid for, then you need to say something about it. You need to pursue it. There's lots of ways. If you don't think your wine is a, true, then you can have it, uh, Examined, you can have authenticated, and there's lots of things they look for uh, different anomalies in the ink, the paper color, the texture, uneven label placement, signs of glue, uh, ultraviolet flashlight can pick up uh, things in it. There's all sorts of stuff uh, that you can find out. And if it's an older wine before the 50s, that ultraviolet won't work because they didn't use it then, so uh, oh, it will work because it, they didn't use it then, so. And the bottle sizes, too, can make a difference. Uh, you know, it, a lot of producers didn't use a large bottle size before 1978. So you need to have your knowledge, if you're going to get something older, you need to have your knowledge that it is one that is uh, authentic for that error, for that time. And... You need to ask. You need to get wines from reputable people. If you are buying wine online, be sure that these are reputable people. Uh, if you find that you purchase a counterfeit bottle or you are unsure, you need to make steps to rectify this. And it's on any level. If you've got yourself a counterfeit bottle of wine and it is or a bad bottle of wine even. Let's talk both of these in one category. Bad bottle or counterfeit bottle. Take it back to the store or the liquor store. If that is the first step, if that's the first thing you're doing, then take it back to them. That's the first thing you need to do on those levels. If you got it anywhere else, you purchase it through a vendor, you purchase it through an auction, you purchase it through a charity auction, Anything like that, contact them. Don't send the bottle back. Contact them. Uh, if you return the bottle and it is counterfeit and they know about it, that gives them a chance to resell it again. Don't do that. Okay, contact them and let them know, you know, I believe this bottle is not what it's supposed to be. Where did you get it? What's it? You know, question them and find out what it is. You should demand full restitution on everything, the current value, expenses, uh, everything for your bad purchase. Don't just say, don't say, well, I'll give you your money back, send me the bottle. No, no, I'm not going to do that simply because they could resell it 
and start the system all over again, and maybe the next person won't question. So keep the bottle and get a full restitution, and especially if you're ordering through auctions and stuff like that. Individual people don't get wines from individual people unless you go through a broker or somebody like that. Actually, in the United States, it is illegal for one person to sell a bottle of wine to another person. It's in the laws, and it's simply to stop well, um, <laughs> prohibition laws and, and uh, when you start doing moonshine and stuff like that, you're not supposed to sell alcohol individually to another individual. You're supposed to have your license and everything else. So if you buy it from an individual, you don't have a whole lot of recourse if it is counterfeit or something. So avoid doing that. Try to go through a brokerage house or uh, some sort of resale house if you possibly can, because in that way that will protect you a lot more against the possibilities of counterfeit. So I can say the reason it caught my eye here is the fact that counterfeit, this article said, is not just on the expensive end. It is throughout the industry on all levels. And they, and they mentioned liquors, too. They didn't say it was just wine, but they said liquors, too. There's lots of people who like the older vintage of different liquors, and those could be counterfeit just as easy as wine can. So... Uh, keep it uh, keep it up front and keep an eye on it whenever you're buying wines. Red wine has been told over and over to us, to me anyway, at the wine, oh, red wine gives me headaches. Uh, no. There are theories, most notably, that red wine contains histamines, and histamines are a known cause for headaches. But research from Oregon a few years ago disproved a direct connection between histamines and headaches from the wines. So, it's, you know, for the lovers of zero zero natural wines, a uh, research paper last year showed that wines bottled without sulfites may actually have more histamines than conventional wines. So, if histamines do have a a connection to the headaches, then, well, I don't want any sulfites that could could lead to more histamines and not the sulfites. Sulfites are used as preservatives. I've talked about this before, and you're going to find it. Uh, red wine headaches are now being connected with phenolics. Phenolics, P-H-E-N-O-L-I-C-S, phenolics. Uh, the theory is that uh, that's why it might be the case. First thing they have to do is find a correlation. And that's why there's a crowdfunding request to do research into this. And it's uh, from, <coughs> excuse me, it is from uh, Oregon. And I think this is Oregon. I'm sorry. Let me back up here and see where these people are. Uh, Oh, I'm sorry, UC Davis, University of California at Davis, which is premier wine school in the country. You would think that they would have the money to do it. But they're asking money, uh, a crowdfunding pace to do this study. And so, therefore, it won't be influenced by anybody or anything. 
They just want to say, okay, this is the study we did, and it wasn't paid for by any entity that could cause us to switch our focus, and that happens so often in these things. So a crowdfunding request is only for 25000 which sounds cheap for a medical research project, but it turns out that some university politics are at play here. Uh, they wanted 25000 the university wanted him to ask for 10000 so he negotiated to 25000 Waterhouse. Waterhouse is... Uh, Professor Waterhouse is the head of this, uh, Dr. Andrew Waterhouse, uh, who is a professor of enology at UC Davis and the project leader, uh, settled on 25000 as the goal for this. Um, and he said that the, they may need to get more than the 50000 to complete the project promptly, but they are working on it uh, to try to get the, the funds to do this research. And it's going to be a long-term research. It's not going to be something they're going to do. The fund, uh, the crowdfunding site will be up through February the 28th, which is only a couple of weeks away, a week and a half away, uh, a little over a week and a half away. So uh, the link is HTTPS uh, semicolon uh, backslash backslash crowdfund.ucdavis.edu slash project slash 29940. I'll put that up on the Facebook page uh, for anyone who might want to donate anything to it. It's entirely up to you. There, like I said, it's a crowdfunding thing that UC Davis is doing. And uh, they, uh, They expect the laboratories to work on it and all that to, to do it at major discounts so the money will actually be used to, for the research and not just full price to pay the people to get it. So that's going to go. Uh, I'll, like I say, I'll put that up on the Facebook page if you are interested. But they're trying to prove exactly why red wine gives people headaches. We're going to do some major research. I don't know. Maybe you can even volunteer to be a test subject when they get around to doing that. That might be something there that is a possibility. Who knows on that? Uh, biodynamics. There is a, a pretty big article here, and I'm, I'm just going to tease you with it. It's an Italian winery that's doing biodynamics, and they want to show people that it's not easy, it's it's hard. It's hard to do biodynamics, and they ask the question, is it worth it? Well, I will just tease you with it. I'm not going to uh, I'm going to tell you about it right now. I will bring it up and talk about it next week. So uh, it's just something for the future to, to look at there. It's a good article. I read a lot of it, though, and it's a good article. Go into it deeper. Okay, let's see. This is... I want Free the Grapes, Florida. Okay, Free the Grapes bill in Florida since, well, I live in Florida. Uh, this is interesting. Uh, this is... Right now, you can't sell wine in single containers holding more than one gallon in Florida. Okay, that is the maximum you can sell. This bill would remove the size limits of bottles of wine in Florida. 
local wine shop owners say they don't think it will impact sales for their business, which it probably won't. You're not going to buy a gallon and a half of wine or something like that. You can buy, you know. The bill would remove size limits of bottles of wine uh, and for they they do, however, think it will benefit people looking to throw a party or large event. And they also believe it would be beneficial for bars and restaurants. And the House has passed this already almost unanimously with a vote of 117 to 1. I don't know why one person would vote against it, but 117 to 1. Uh, that does Florida, you, you cannot get anything over a gallon in one container, so therefore you can't get these great big, great big bottles, the Nebuchadnezzar's and the, and the uh, Magnums and the double Magnums and all these real large size. You can't use those. You can't get those in Florida because it is illegal for one container over a gallon. So what this bill would do is open up the chance to get those bigger bottles, which are always fun at weddings or at corporate events or stuff like that, to have one of those big bottles uh, on a table so you can have someone there that pours and decants it for people and all that. So that was, I think that's the reason why they're looking at limiting the size events, because more than likely with all the conventions and everything that goes on in Florida, it would be beneficial to just about everybody to be able to offer the wine bottles and bigger uh, bigger containers. Uh, Sting is a vineyard owner. I don't know if you know that or not. Uh, yes, the singer, Sting. He has a vineyard in Tucson, uh, Tuscan, uh, Italy. And he is trying to get the Italian Senate to approve a law that uh, citing biodynamics is, let's see how he has this presented. Uh, the bill citing biodynamics, which last year won the approval of the Italian Senate, only needed one more vote in the lower house to become a law. After outrage from scientists who petitioned against it, it has been blocked. Huh. According to the Times, wine expert reports, which slammed the singer turned wine producers' methods, have now also been blocked by time uh, MPs this week by blocking and amending a bill that would have granted biodynamic methods legal recognition. So... We've avoided giving official status to a method that has no basis in science, said <laughs> Ricardo Magi, uh, Magi um, who led the opposition to biodynamics. So France doesn't, or I'm sorry, Italy does not have a recognition of biodynamics. Sting tried to get it there, and they're blocking it. And it was noted that if Left unchanged, the bill would almost certainly have placed biodynamics on equal footing with organic farming, qualifying the method used uh, at Sting's estate and thousands of others uh, for funding and promotion. But the Senate, uh, after the it was approved by the Senate, 
Italian MPs voted to change the legislation immediately, amplifying yet another battle between science and 4,500 Italian farmers. And it's not just vineyard, but it's just the use of biodynamics in the country of Italy itself does not get the recognition. Uh, they said if it does, it would be the same as organic. And, oh, my gosh, you don't want it to be the same as organic. Well, actually, biodynamic, I think, is a step beyond organic. So maybe they should do their reading up on it. But this is uh, an ongoing thing. There was... Uh, uh, wine critic Jane McQuitty said, trust the Italians that come over all sanctimonious about biodynamic wines. Uh, biodynamic wine is just a step up from organic wine production, encouraging each vineyard to be the best it can be. But the Italians say, no, no, we don't want it. It could be on the level of organic. No. Oh, well. So that's what's happening with the biodynamic wine industry in Italy right now, uh, which is a little bit silly of them, but, you know, who who are we to judge? Uh, something else I'm going to for a little bit here before we go for tonight. Uh, this was just last Monday. Uh, I, I read this one, let's see, today's Thursday, so only you know, three days ago. Our president has been presented with a bill to scrap the anti-competitive booze laws, which could help small businesses. So, in a 64-page report uh, to the president, the U.S. Treasury found that America's beer drinkers pay up to $478 million per year, more than they should. It also revealed that there are significant barriers to entry to the markets for alcohol and that many advantages promised to consumers from previous mergers acquisitions have never materialized. The missive may give the president the incentive he needs to amend federal legislation to ease entry into the sector and to reduce prices. Okay, the report was named Competition in the Markets for Beer, Wine, and Spirits. And it resulted from his executive order that he issued last summer to find ways to reduce company consolidations and improve competition to protect U.S. consumers, workers, and small businesses. I mentioned that report last year that he was going to work on that and that he asked for that to be taken care of. It is now in front of him a little bit more and it's up for debate for, you know, some people. So we'll see. Um, over six months, the Treasury received submissions from more than 800 consumer groups uh, showing interest in these bills. And it's a series of reforms, including stricter merger and acquisition scrutiny by the Department of Justice and Federal Trade Commission. I've read you different acquisitions and different companies buying out other companies. This is going to be a little bit more under the microscope. The Treasury also wants different tax rates for producers and to reform outdated state and federal regulations 
and some of these date back to the end of Prohibition back in 1933 uh, in order for new entrants and new wineries to, to grow in their business. Another thing, the 1933 legislation brought in the three-tier system to separate producers, wholesalers, and retailers. This has created a complex patchwork of rules that individual states have for their own system. We've talked about this three-tier system a lot on this program and how I think it's ridiculous and I hate it. It says that the wide liberalization to state distribution and retail monopolies. Uh, the new administration is uh, committed to ensuring an economic environment that promotes fairness and competition. Uh, it says the, one of the most restrictive constraints highlights the post and hold system such as in Connecticut uh, that was brought in to maintain high prices and discourage consumption at the end of prohibition. The system requires distributors to publish their price with state officials and then maintain those prices for a given, given period, usually 30 days. So post and hold laws, uh, that's just one example. There's other states that have it also. But this goes on about a lot of the different stuff. I, I'm not going to uh, get into it because there are also some really good replies here that talk about it. And there's a couple of links that I went to, and the links are really pretty involved. And there's some interesting stuff on in that. So I'm not going to get into it. I will look at it this week and... We'll talk about this next week, about what might come of this and what is the possibilities of this, you know, affecting prices. Of, well, not just wine, but beer and spirits. It's it's an all-consuming, uh, all-consuming uh, bill that they're looking at. It's, you know, craft, spirits, and beer, and, and wine, and everything. Uh, there are a lot of alcohol lobbyists. There's uh, more than 300 registered in Washington in 2017, and I'm sure there's more now because those numbers never go down. So over 300 registered lobbyists for the alcohol sector in Washington, and so they're up there pleading the case to everybody. There's almost enough legislatures. There are enough legislatures for every well, no, not quite, for every congressman and every representative. So we'll see. I will follow up on this more and report more on it next week, which will be the last Thursday of February, won't it? Yeah, wow. So Already. Already. <laughs> well, yeah. That is um, Okay, let me uh, close down some chats here so I can get ready to do the uh, so that's going to be February 24th February 24th will be the next show okay good and let me go back here um, had to boot a couple of people out of chat on blog talk radio cause they don't, oh did you uh, oh yeah um, that's okay they, they were being we bad people on, they did not uh, uh, yeah Oh. One was for sure. Um, oh. hey, you know what? When you have 273,000 
listeners to a show over the years. It's bound to yeah, yeah. they can't yeah. all can't all be on topic or you know behave themselves. <laughs> That's true. We've we found that out now. So yeah. Oh well. Yeah. I guess so, we can uh, say thanks for listening anyway, but don't call and chat again. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, anyway, I learned a couple of things about chat. I can ban by IP, uh, the oh. IP address, which I did, and uh, that worked. So um, did that to one and uh, was waiting for the other to return, and they never did. So, But uh, oh. I looked them up and uh, go from there. Um, That's yeah. interesting. Thank you all for tuning in. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you all for yeah. tuning in. And uh, we'll catch you all uh, next week, uh, 7 p.m. Eastern time, right here on Blog Talk Radio, Facebook, and uh, the other one. What is it? YouTube. YouTube. <laughs> Thanks for listening and have a safe week. And uh, happy President's Day. That's Monday, I guess, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Well, all right. Yeah, uh, I think it is. Yeah. Take the day off. Yeah. The day off. <laughs> That's right. There you go. This concludes tonight's broadcast of All About Wine with your host, Ron. For show information, links to All About Wine on Twitter and Facebook, or to be a guest on this show, visit the show website at www.allaboutwinebtr.com. Archived shows are available for download on iTunes or on our show page at blogtalkradio.com forward slash allaboutwine. Thank you for listening. Drink responsibly, and we'll see you next time on All About Wine. Well, that's not fair. The video didn't show up on uh, the other platforms. Huh. All right, let me Uh, close that out. The Facebook button just beeped on me again there, too. All right, let me close Hmm. out the streams. Okay. I don't know why it didn't show up. Um, Oh, I guess it's Uh, green room. Green room. (laughs)